Hello, and welcome to the Smart Karma Podcast. I'm Michael Tegos. Every week on the podcast, we share a presentation and discussion from our webinar Wednesdays, when we sit down with Smart Karma Insight providers and selected experts from around the world to break down the key topics you care about in Asia's markets. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, and so on. Thank you for being with us, and enjoy the episode. Hello, and welcome to another Webinar Wednesday by Smart Karma. I'm Michael Tegos. Today, I'm happy to welcome insight provider Eric Fernandez. Eric will outline some of his top short trade ideas in the U.S. market based on his unique and comprehensive framework for identifying short sell candidates. Eric has more than 30 years of research and investment banking experience in company modeling, equity valuation, and credit, which forms the backbone of the approach by Two Rivers Analytics, the company that he founded. Eric, let me welcome you to the webinar. Thank you very much for being with us today. The floor is yours. Great. Thank you. And thank you very much for hosting the call. Thank you to Smart Karma and to all of the people on the, uh, on the call today. Uh, good afternoon to you. We're going to uh, we're going to be a little bit ambitious in uh, in terms of the number of slides that, uh, that we'll run through today. So we're going to make this very quick, and uh, and have time at the end for for Q and A for anything that uh, that I might have missed in the interim. Okay, first very quickly, I'll tell you a little bit about Two Rivers. Tell you about how we find good short ideas. We'll launch into a uh, quick summary of what's going on in the short market, and then six short ideas, uh, time permitting. Right, so Two Rivers uh, is an institutional equity firm. We focus solely on providing short ideas in the US, uh, in US equities. We've been around since 2010. Uh, we like to think we have a very uh, robust process for finding, uh, for finding good shorts. Uh, we provide uh, short research, model rankings uh, from our various models, which I'll explain in a moment. Uh, mid-process reports where we talk about uh, names that are somewhere between the model and the full fully developed fundamental reports, and then talk, um, uh, we have uh, uh, short updates where we discuss what's going on in the short market, where movements, uh, industries, and sectors, and where companies might be at risk of uh, short squeezes uh, and similar work. Uh, our framework is, uh, is as follows. We have a series of purpose-built models that are built to identify different types of short candidates. They all have very different characteristics and very different personalities. And they're, uh, they're outlined in this slide, which I won't go over in detail, but they uh, effectively makes that point. The hit rates are different. Uh, some of the types of short candidates that are surfaced by these models are very idiosyncratic in nature. For instance, your um, you know, earnings quality types of shorts and others tend to be more thematic. Say you're declining business shorts, some produce returns over a long period of time, and some produce returns uh, very quickly and abruptly when, uh, when something significant breaks, like an over-earner or a breaking growth type of short. Right, so what's going on in the short market today? Except for yesterday, uh, we had, um, the shorts have been uh, underperforming significantly after a squeeze that we had in November. And what we're seeing in terms of uh, industry and sector movements are uh, at the bottom left there. We have uh, telecom equipment and internet retail e-commerce representing a significant portion of, of new shorting, whereas we have packaged software, REITs, banks, where uh, we're seeing the most short covering. We track a series of risk factors because that uh, gives us a better indication of where we are in any given uh, short term, short cycle, if you will. And what we're seeing right now 
should not be a surprise to anyone is that the risk factors uh, are sliding again, barring yesterday uh, with, the, with small caps and unprofitable companies, especially hard hit. Uh, cyclicals and levers continue to, to do well, uh, but most interesting what I, what I find over here is on the, uh, on the momentum side, that momentum has tapered off, but still continues to perform reasonably well over the past several months. Okay, let's jump into the ideas. Again, six ideas here. They, uh, they represent a, a sampling out of our various models. Most of these are over earners, uh, but there are declining business models, declining businesses as well. So let's just jump into the first one and motor on through. All right, the first one is at Core Inc. Uh, this comes out of our over earners model. And this is a pretty simple thesis, but before we go into the thesis, let's, let's talk about what the company does. The company is a manufacturer of electrical products, PVC and steel conduit, basically things that protect or support wire in a, in a building, in residential or non-residential construction. The bulk of what they do is in, uh, is in the non-residential market. Right, so why, why are we interested in AtCore? Effectively, what happened, if you, if you recall, back in uh, February, even before that, when the civil unrest of 2020 hit and then COVID all during 2020, there was a bit of a, of a mass uh, urban exodus to the suburbs. A number of people started leaving the city and there was increased housing demand outside. And now we roll over to 2021 and we have a very severe freeze in Texas, which had the result of, of shutting down power in many places across the state and many intermediate uh, or PVC resin plants and intermediate products plants were shut down. And they were shut down in, uh, in such a fashion or so quickly that many of the intermediate products that were in the pipelines transferring uh, among the plants uh, actually froze. So it caused quite a lot of disruption downstream. And you see on the upper right-hand side, the PVC record, uh, you see the PVC prices spiked uh, effectively almost tripling in a very short period of time. So uh, Adcor being a, the, the market leader here, they have about 38 plants in the US they actually had the PVC inventory to fulfill uh, this, uh, this demand. So they were able to increase the prices very dramatically. Part of the reason they can do that is because PVC represents a very small portion of the total cost in any construction project. But, uh, but if it's held up, it has the same impact. It's a construction project, you're paying interest, insurance, et cetera. So it's, uh, it's very meaningful to be able to deliver product. So they raised the product in many cases, you know, as much as 89% across the company. Uh, and with it, you saw the gross margin spike as well. But what's happening now is that those upstream plants are coming back online. The PVC plants are reopening, and there's a bit of a, a lull in the winter, in the construction cadence, if you will, in the winter. And that's allowing PVC resins and pipe to flow back into the channel and refill. So what that does is it makes ATR's competitors relevant again, and price competition will return, and those prices should drop uh, fairly dramatically. So when we look over at the estimate side, we see that the estimates don't really account for much of a what we what we call a give back on those um, on those revenues and those prices. So uh, the estimates are still higher than they should be. Multiples nearly ignore margin reversion entirely. So the upper right hand side, you can see what happened quite dramatic to the margins. We spiked from somewhere about fifteen percent up to. 30% on the EBITDA side. 
And if you look at the multiples on the lower left hand, lower right hand side, uh, you see that uh, effectively we're trading on peak multiples on peak margins. So uh, we've effectively discussed the catalyst already, ready, slowdown in sales, collapse of selling prices, and contraction of profit margins should bring more normalcy to the uh, to the company's PL. On the risks, you have a secular trend towards digitalization, so data center growth, hospital growth. They both use a lot of wiring, uh, so those are bullish tailwinds. So that's uh, that's core. Let's move on to another one. This name's a little bit controversial because it is uh, it is effectively a higher quality company, but we think at this point it does represent the stock itself represents a good uh, short sale candidate. This is another over earner. So Danaher manufactures and markets a whole broad range of life science uh, research tools. They have equipment, uh, instruments, reagents, consumables, and software, as well as a smaller business and environmental products and service, primarily life science and diagnostics. Part of, the, uh, part of their business is uh, in equipment and diagnostic testing, which means that when COVID surfaced, we had very sharp spikes across, uh, across product. So life sciences and diagnostics. Most, uh, most prominently. Uh, you'll notice here that uh, growth had been slowing and had reached about 5% before the pandemic hit. So significant, uh, significant slowdown there. Much of their sales growth had been through acquisition. A couple of other things that were going on here is that, the, is that within the sales mix, it had shifted significantly over to the consumable side. So people would purchase the piece of equipment for COVID testing, for their patients, and then they would need all the reagents and the kits that would go along with that. So equipment sales were pulled forward from subsequent years, and consumable sales obviously spiked. Uh, we think estimates are too high. Again, uh, the street analysts seem to be extrapolating, uh, as, um, as uh, oftentimes they do, and they don't seem to, um, seem to factor in any sort of a giveback. So a couple of things we think happen here is that once the equipment that has been sold is in place, it's not going to need to be sold again in the next 12 to 24 months. So we expect to see several quarters of effectively collapsing equipment sales and the consumable sales will naturally taper off as the pandemic wanes. Okay, stock is very extensive. So peak multiples on, uh, on peak margins. And I, I think in terms of uh, in terms of risks here, we obviously we could see uh, you know additional COVID variants, and there are some positive uh, smaller parts of the business, but that are growing quite nicely and have high margins. So they include gene therapy, monoclonal antibodies, and other bioprocess uh, sorts of uh, sorts of business lines. Next up is Service Corp International. This is an over earner. This one seems intuitively obvious initially. But, um, but it has some nuances. So first, just a moment, it's a bit of an odd company to talk about because it is, uh, it is after all, it's the largest funeral provider uh, and cemetery owner in the United States. So, so understanding the sensitivities here and our, our condolences to, to all those affected. So uh, Service Corp benefited uh, from a large number of funerals and deaths that were pulled forward from subsequent years. Again, it was a relatively slow growth company but sales were, were pulled in due to the excess mortality around COVID. And you see the excess mortality here on the lower left-hand side. That's uh, solely for the U.S. market. You can see that quite dramatically. 
uh, tragically, COVID did not affect everyone equally. Perhaps that's not tragic. Um, it's, uh, it, it seems to have taken from us the older people and sicker people. So by implication, the people that remain uh, are slightly healthier and slightly younger. So what we, what we foresee uh, on the lower right-hand side there, you'll see that um, if you look at the blue shaded area, that is the ongoing, um, the ongoing trend or the pre-COVID trend. You see the acceleration with the, uh, the green triangle. And then after that is the, the period under contention. The street seems to think that that SCI returns to trend, whereas we believe that SCI effectively needs to give back those, those uh, sales, again, tragically, deaths that are represented by the green triangle. So we have factored in a number of different uh, models in our, uh, in our work, and we looked at um, that cluster of people effectively modeling out when they would have otherwise died over the next several years, and that represents a, a below-trend portion of, uh, of revenues for SCI that, uh, that we should see in the coming years. A couple of other secular trends, uh, some positives, population is aging in the US, but life expectancy is stalled, and the US market remains highly fragmented. This is an acquisition-driven company. They make small talking acquisitions uh, fairly frequently. On the negatives, population is not growing, there is a strong secular shift towards lower price funeral services and especially cremations, and those now exceed 50% of total, uh, total death care, and average prices will be under pressure uh, for that very reason. So other issues, there's significant litigation going on regarding the company's sales practices, especially for so-called pre-need sales, and there's some equity risk. All of the money that they receive pre-need and the money they need to keep the stock or cemetery are invested in trust funds, of which about 60% is in equities right now. So they have significant equity exposure. Uh, multiples are too high, and estimates are too high as, uh, as well. Okay, we've effectively run through this. What are the risks? They, uh, they have an e-commerce uh, component to their business. It's small. Uh, it has not moved market share yet, but uh, there's some possibility that it increases and uh, it allows them to do so a bit faster. That's Service Corp. Okay, let's talk about Monroe. Monroe is a different kind of short. It's a declining business short. It's a company that has uh, fundamental secular issues with the industry. And we think they're making quite a bad business decision in their, uh, in their sales mix. So what does Monroe do? They primarily sell and install tires, but a significant portion of the business as well is maintenance services. So they do brakes, routine mufflers, steering, drivetrain, things like that. Monroe, Monroe's sales have basically been slowing for some period of time. And over the past several years, their sales growth have been hovering uh, about uh, zero on the same store basis. Some growth had come in from tuck and acquisitions, but basically the company had been slowing. Uh, very little in e-commerce, even though there's a there's a significant shift in the industry towards uh, towards e-commerce, buying your tires online. This is effectively a secular decline story. The retail tire industry is growing more slowly than GDP. Uh, miles of peak per capita. Electric vehicles require fewer parts. So this is uh, this is not a great business to be in uh, long term. Margins have been declining for some time. Uh, there was a very slight uptick in the last quarter. That's effectively because the company had deferred 
uh, some business or was forced to divert some business during, uh, during COVID. Some of that has come back. Company is highly levered, it's about four and a half times uh, trailing EBITDA. And we do have some maturities coming in 2024. Margins are, uh, are expecting, we're expecting them to break their, uh, have a declining trend and the sell side expect, is expecting them to uh, come up rapidly or recover from, uh, from that declining trend. We don't think that's going to happen. One of the key things here that, um, I'm sorry, that I passed over earlier is that, uh, is that the company is uh, making a conscious decision to focus, to focus more on selling tires, selling and installing tires. That is effectively much lower margin business and the service business. And uh, we think this is gonna hurt margins into the future. They expect that they're gonna be able to use better pricing mechanisms uh, to, uh, to price their tires and gain market share in tires. We don't see any, uh, any reason to believe that. And we think they're gonna sacrifice margin needlessly from the service business to the, uh, to the distribution of tires. Stock has gotten less expensive, and that's classic for declining business types of shorts. These tend to be sometimes called value traps or catching falling knives. They tend to be short going in, and they tend to have very similar types of risk. One is uh, high short interest. Another is that with the cash flows and the company, companies typically generate a fair amount of cash flow as they, as they decline, and that lets you do share buybacks or, or potentially becomes uh, attracted to a, uh, to a buyout sponsor to a private equity firm. Uh, next up is ABM Industries. This is another over-earner. Uh, they provide facility services for all sorts of large buildings, commercial industrial schools, and it's very basic services, janitorial parking, rental cars, catering, uh, that sort of thing. It's 93% a U.S. company. Very low growth, low margin. These, uh, these folks earn a bit of margin on their labor costs. So they have, uh, tend to have large uh, labor pools and, uh, and they make a small markup on that as they send their, uh, their army of workers out to, uh, out to the companies. There's some secular trends that are working against them, which are important. One is that sublease office offers are at high levels. The shift towards remote work, which uh, which was well in place before COVID, was accelerated during COVID, and the the global working from home phenomenon, you know, we think it does does not come back to levels that we saw pre-COVID. So that's going to continue. Uh, margins have spiked on sustainable levels. A couple of things here. The main drivers are one is that uh, ABM introduced an enhanced clean product, just a deeper cleaning for for office, uh, office spaces. They charged a premium for that. That was a successful product. And also there's significant efficiencies in cleaning unoccupied buildings. And they manage your labor costs very aggressively. So they pulled back very sharp. When you look at the estimates, what, uh, what the street is expecting, you see that the, the street is expecting margins that are higher than they ever have been in a steady state in the past, meaning that they expect Implicitly, they expect the enhanced clean product or those efficiencies to remain in place forever. We don't think that's the case. The key line to focus on here on this slide is the blue line, which is the, the uh, business and industry client mix, end user. That's the important. Aviation is still fairly small. Margins have fallen for, the, uh, for anything related to earnings. But if you look at anything related to, mark, to, uh, to sales, EV to sales, for instance, that shows you... Uh, quite succinctly that, uh, that the margin forecasts are, 
you know, are, are out of whack. So we think the, um, the appropriate way to look at this is, um, is not on an earnings basis with the, uh, with the inflated margins. Catalysts and risks. The key risk here is that, uh, is that they could pick up smaller uh, tuck-in acquisitions at perhaps prices if other, if other competitors have, um, you know, are experiencing some, some distress. And the aviation business has some legs to it, no pun intended. Uh, so it could provide some earnings uplift in the, uh, in the future. Last up is the Renewable Energy Group. This is a company that is focused primarily on uh, recycling effectively a series of, uh, of lipids used uh, cooking oil, soybean oil, et cetera, and they convert it into primarily biodiesel. Now, there's uh, the key difference here is that biodiesel is, uh, is effectively inferior to renewable diesels. They use the same feedstocks, but it's a, a difficult chemical process. And the, uh, the biodiesel piece injects uh, oxygen into, as, as part of this process, injects oxygen into the, uh, into the production stream. And you have to, uh, with the effect of it's being a little bit more environmentally uh, polluting, and you also need to mix it with standard fossil petroleum diesel. So that's, uh, those are disadvantages. So um, uh, renewable energy focuses primarily on the less desirable biodiesel. Right now, that's a significant portion of its capacity uh, with a very small capacity for renewable diesel, uh, although plant expansion is going to improve the mix uh, a bit. Uh, what's happening in the market is that renewable diesel is ramping very aggressively. The biodiesel tends to be manufactured by agricultural producers. The shift in the market is that the renewable diesel capacity, uh, which is spiking, is actually controlled by many of the oil majors. These are Marathon, Phillips 66, and others. And that's because you can convert a petroleum diesel refinery into renewable diesel. It's not, uh, it's not painless, but it's substantially faster than, than doing a greenfield development. Uh, most of the new capacity is near California, which is where they have a... Um, uh, the LCFS credits, which I'll discuss in a moment, and Reggie's refinery, a renewable energy's refinery, uh, is based in, Louis in uh, Louisiana. So it's uh, is less able to take advantage of those uh, attractive credits. Uh, there will be an effect on feedstocks here. Uh, we can see it already. Soybean oil has uh, diverged from soybean meal, and that's going to be one of the key feedstocks going forward. Uh, another concern of the feedstocks, obviously, is that if uh, renewable energy is forced to compete with Marathon and Murphy and Philip 66 for feedstocks, we expect that, that they will end up on the losing end of that trade. Their plant expansion leaves them behind. Uh, still, they will still be less than 50% renewable diesel, and they have all of the expensive capital equipment invested uh, already in biodiesel. That leaves them at, uh, at a disadvantage. Companies completely dependent on subsidies. Uh, just to be clear here, over the last nine months, they've generated half a billion dollars in, uh, in subsidies, and their operating profit was, um, was a third as much, or $180 million. So this is 24% of revenues that come in from government incentives. One very important one is, um, is the LCFS in California. This is effectively a program that uh, taxes more polluting fuels to generate credits for companies that, that manufacture or use less polluting fuels. And you can see that, uh, that they're trying to force the market to, uh, to adapt to increasingly stringent environmental regulations. 
problem is, is that the is that this program is revenue agnostic. So eventually, even revenue diesel will be supplanted by other ways to generate these credits. So the company's um, company's growth is frankly all over the place. It's very volatile, but we think that hap- what happens here is that the um, is that Wall Street doesn't factor in that biodiesel volumes are going to decrease as soon as we have additional renewable diesel flowing through uh, through renewable energy. And of course, the margin squeeze with the uh, with the feedstock competition. So uh, higher multiples than we would like. Um, risks on this one is that renewable energy may find some some better markets in uh, shipping, which is more accessible through Louisiana. And there might be some acquisition risk from companies from some of the oil majors that are looking for that are looking for capacity in renewable diesel. And I think with that, I will uh, I will stop talking mercifully, and I'll open the floor up to to questions. Thank you very much, Eric. Uh, that was a great presentation, and uh, I, for one, as, uh, was very interested. So, uh, no need to put yourself down like that. Um, we already have a question from an attendee asking, "How do you manage the risk of short squeezes?" Uh, the way we manage risk of short squeezes, it's uh, very simple. We try to avoid those companies that have uh, excessive short uh, short interest. So, as a uh, as a general rule, we are hesitant to write about any names that have short interest higher than about 10%. And we get very nervous if it starts getting above uh, 13, 14%. So we just, um, we steer away from those names, frankly. Got it. Thank you very much. A question is, uh, how many ideas does Two Rivers uh, typically publish per month or per year? Uh, we typically target about uh, one fully developed fundamental idea per month. And in addition to that, we do supply, we give you the updates from our models, and then we have discussion on about five or six names approximately weekly. So it could be somewhere between four and five names weekly, say. Thank you for that. One of the risks that uh, that you mentioned, uh, and I guess a kind of trend in the companies that you talked about is uh, that some of them benefited from uh, the onset of the pandemic, uh, which... In, in a lot of ways, we keep expecting for it to uh, to wane, to to sort of mm-hmm. die down, but uh, uh, somehow it keeps kind of coming back, having different impacts uh, each time. So, uh, how much of a risk is that uh, to your theses? Do you think the the sort of uncertainty that we're seeing with the pandemic? Well, I think I think clearly it does pose uh, something of a risk, but I guess ultimately our view is that the vaccinations are are in the market. We now have new therapeutics. We're just about to have approvals on some new therapeutics that will help mitigate the the damage from COVID. And perhaps, and this is my speculation, I am not qualified for for this opinion, but I I do think that the um, latest variant of concern that the Omicron variant may in in fact be a blessing in disguise. It seems to be uh, less virulent and and it may drive out, being more contagious, may drive out the other variants and, in a sense, get us all towards uh, something closer to, to herd immunity. So it's, um, that's purely speculative, but I would say, you know, it, it is a slight risk to, uh, to some of these theses, but frankly, it, it will go away at one point, and it may just uh, may simply just extend the period before the stock uh, reacts. Understood. Thank you for that. 
Annette and Dee asks, uh, have the models been backtested and how have they performed? The models are actually more fundamental tools than they are black box uh, quant uh, backtested. Okay. So what they do is they propose a series of candidates and, uh, and then we do the fundamental work uh, behind that to, uh, uh, to drive down to see what's, what's actually triggering the model and to eliminate the, uh, the type one errors, you know, effectively the false positives. So they're not, um, they're not sort of black box concepts that you would, that you would actually backtest. Understood. When it comes to I'm going to mention the the, the pandemic again, but um, mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to the tech sector, there have been quite a few stocks that also benefited from the trends that we saw during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Have you observed any potential sh- uh, shorts in that uh, regard? We've we've seen some, yes, but there I think that um, what we focused on in the pandemic, and we actually did a a, a piece called. Corona over earners that we put out in April of 2020, but we, um, we we are more comfortable calling out specific items that we think are that we think have to revert in the short term, and that points you a little bit more towards companies that have margin spikes that are not entirely related uh, just to the sales spike. So if there's something else uh, underneath it, for instance, okay, like in the case of Service Corp. There's, um, and not to put too fine a point on it, but, but that bump in sales or that rise in sales cannot be repeated and was brought, was brought back uh, and has to be effectively repaid from a revenue standpoint. I would say probably uh, it's to focus more on margins than on, than on sales. Understood. Thank you for that. Uh, speaking about companies like uh, Danaher and uh, Renewable Fuels, you mentioned mm-hmm. uh, in the risks uh, some of the uh, potential pivots that that they could be exploring. Have you observed, or actually, could you comment on their ability to to perform such pivots? From what you've observed, could they successfully pull those off and affect your thesis? Do you think? Well. Uh, we don't think ultimately that they that it affects the uh, the theses, but you know, in the case of Danaher, uh, I'm going to say that this is a higher quality company, and that they have been able to manage uh, acquisitions in the past. They have some new business lines which are exciting. Some of those are uh, some of those are required. Most of them are acquired. Uh, some are not. We think that ultimately that those uh, that those segments have legs, but they are relatively small. So it's not going to move the needle for a $30 billion sales company uh, in the short term as much as, uh, you know, as the sudden disappearance of equipment sales and the shift in consumables. So, yes, perhaps longer term, that's a risk, but, uh, but probably not in the short term. And in renewable fuels, frankly, they can, they can build their plant. They're still going to be competing with the... Uh, they're still going to be competing on the feedstocks, and half of their installed base of equipment is going to be for a less desirable product. So I don't see how they beat themselves out of that. Understood. Thank you very much. If there are no other questions uh, from the audience, we can uh, put a full stop here. Thank you, everyone, for attending and uh, for asking your questions. Of course, if you were uh, if you found this presentation valuable, uh, I encourage you to look up Eric's profile on Smart Karma and to follow his work there, as he will be publishing a lot more. 
Eric, thank you very much for taking the time to be with us today and for sharing all your insights, answering all your, all our questions. Uh, this has been very interesting. Uh, it's my pleasure, and thank you all for attending. That's it for this week. If you liked this episode, please share it with your networks and follow Smart Karma on your social media. We're Smart Karma everywhere. And of course, don't forget to visit smartkarma.com for truly independent, differentiated investment research. As always, thank you very much for listening, and see you at the next one.